developer experience really is just about making it possible for people to achieve the things they're trying to do in the fastest, most joy-inspiring way possible. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Developer Experience, a new podcast brought to you by Algolia. We chat with guests who build products for developers about their developer experience strategy, what it means for them, why it's important, and so on. Today's episode is our very first, so we will be diving deeper into what developer experience, or DX, really means. I am Sarah Dayan, and today I have two fantastic guests with me to answer this question. Adam Wadden is the creator of Tailwind CSS, one of the most popular and the fastest growing CSS framework, which popularized utility for CSS. He has since then founded his own company, Tailwind Labs, where he builds the best tools for CSS developers. Hello, Adam. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Our second guest is Lee Robinson, who is the head of developer relations at Vercel, the company behind Next.js, which is rapidly becoming the most popular React-based framework out there. He has built tons of learning material, including blog posts, courses, and you can always count on his video tutorials to learn how to build anything with Next. Hi, Lee. Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. So let's dive in. You know, when I look at the at your websites, like the Tailwind, Tailwind CSS page, I can read stuff like rapidly build modern websites without ever leaving your HTML. Then I go to Vercel and I'm like, Vercel combines the best developer experience with an obsessive focus on front-end user performance. And then again, I go on Next and it's like Next.js gives you the best developer experience, again, with all the features you need for production. So how comes that developer experience has become so important that now it is a top-selling argument on landing page for open source, but also commercial products? Why do we care so much? Yeah, I mean, I can take a, a stab at it. I think there's probably a lot of different elements to it. But I think like the one that stands out to me is being a developer is a, is a bit of a unique job in a lot of ways where most of us that do it for a living, I think, also do it because we just like really enjoy it and find a lot of fun in doing it. And we love to use tools that make that fun experience even more fun. You know what I mean? I think a lot of jobs out there, people don't expect to have fun or don't or don't <laughs> look to have any fun with it. But when you already kind of enjoy the work that you do and you get to kind of be creative, it can be made even more enjoyable when it feels like the tools that you're using are really like you know, helping you move faster and be more productive and like stay in the flow versus feeling like you're fighting with them. And then I think on on top of that, you know, of course, there's just like a lot of demand for developers, you know, software is eating the world. People want to keep their developers happy, you know what I mean? So if, if, if you can give people tools that uh, help them have more fun and help them feel more productive and keep up morale and keep them motivated, I think that's that's kind of good for everybody. Yeah, and I think also increasingly we're seeing people in executive or like higher level positions at companies start to understand empowering their developers and increasing their productivity is having a good return on investment. And they're seeing those gains of if our developers are happy, our business is doing better, which is then allowing developers to influence 
decisions around spending, whether that's tools you use or SaaS you use or frameworks that you choose or all those different decisions. I think that's we're finally starting to realize a lot of that. Yes, and it makes a lot of sense, especially when considering, for example, Tailwind or Next or Algolia, we're making products for developers. So in that way, when you build software for developers, DX is really just UX in a way. You yeah. are making it great for your audience. And in those cases, the audience is developers. Especially when you're a company building tools for developers, of course, developers are your customer. So you want to attract those customers by basically promising them the best possible experience for sure. One thing I'm noticing is that the ecosystem is growing and we're getting all better at building software. So there is more and more quality products and so competing quality products available. So it's not just like great software is the unique differentiator. You need something more. When you look at Next, it's not the first React framework. Tailwind CSS is not the first utility first, but also CSS framework. So it's not just about, hey, we're making it easier or our tech is better. It's also, you're going to have fun it's going to be easy to use. It, you're going to have a steady learning curve. Like you're going to be able to be productive faster, or it's going to be a better investment of your time than this and this. Yeah, I, I think one interesting point here is developers get really excited about performance and not only like in user performance, but also increased performance while they're developing locally or what that experience is like. And something that's interesting is because of the growing community and more developers at large, you see people experimenting and trying out new solutions to maybe problems that existed in the past with something completely new. A great example is like ES Build. ES Build is awesome. And it's really paving the way for a new future of dev tooling. And the great thing about being at the forefront of developer experience is looking at ideas like ES Build and looking at fundamental new approaches to technology and seeing how that changes the developer experience. Like when you start your application, it's just immediate. And then taking that inspiration and trying to work even harder on your own tooling, trying to make Webpack faster in Next.js. Yeah, I think performance is a great thing to talk about when it comes to developer experience because it's that one thing that's like, if you can't think of anything else to improve, you know, improve the performance. <laughs> like it's like, I think there's like a quote something I think I heard about like Amazon back in the day, which was like focus on the needs that people have that are never going to change. Like no one is ever going to want their packages to be delivered slower. So let's just figure out how to get them to them faster, faster, faster. You know, it's the same with developer tooling. No one wants transpiling their JavaScript to get slower. And you know, the feeling that people have when they use something like ES build for the first time, or some of the tools that are kind of powered by it, like Vite is kind of like a, mm -hmm. a popular new like development environment that just like, because it's using ES build under the hood and like native ES modules and taking advantage of all these new technologies, it just boots up like instantly. Mm -hmm. And as a developer, that just like brings this huge smile to your face, you know, like you're so used to waiting for everything. And when it just feels like things are instant, I don't know, it's a, it's a bit of a magical feeling. So it's a, a fun one to chase for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting. You're, you're speaking of ES build, which is extremely fast, but then Vite is built on top of it. But what Vite also brings on top of, yeah, we're fast and we're using under the hood, the tooling to make it fast is that we are also bringing all that together because Vite is not only just 
like a server, it's also bundling up with with rollup. Mm-hmm. And like when you're looking at the progress on JavaScript tooling like Roam, there is a lot of excitement around that because it's not only fast, best in class, but it also consolidates a lot of similar concerns. Yeah. I'd love to know what's your opinion on what concretely makes great DX. Because when you ask people, they will tell you, okay, it's when you have great documentation or when the software feels intuitive. But is it only a matter of like checking the right boxes or is there more more to it? It's a hard question, I think, because I think it's different for each product you know i think all the examples you gave are are great ones for me like a great anchor way to think about it in general is just that the goal of like building these tools if you really want people to have great experiences with them is you want to be focused the whole time on like making people feel like they have superpowers when they use like your tool i think i've read this this kind of like first put into words that way in kathy sierra's badass book like a a few years ago where she talks about like basically how to make a great camera is not to just is not to think about all the features that you can add to the camera but it's like what do we have to do to make sure that when someone takes a photo with this camera they're like so proud Mm. of the photo that they took and that it feels like they did it it doesn't feel like the tool really even gets the credit it feels like they achieved this outcome and it helped them get there you know so how can you what decisions can you make when you're building something that that are going to make someone feel like they are kick-ass at the problem that they're trying to solve and sometimes not even really noticing that the tool is the thing that's like letting them do it you know like you're you're not looking to get credit for it in a way you know what i mean it's it's really just about focusing on like how can you make someone super successful and i think like the the open source example that like stands out to me the most just because of my own experience and like my own journey to get to where I was was when I first started using like Laravel back when I was like still in college in like 2012 compared to what I was used to doing with like vanilla PHP and like writing SQL statements myself and stuff (laughs) like that. It was so crazy to me how I could just like get some stuff showing on the screen from a database and click around and stuff with like so little work. I just felt like I can build anything now because of like these tools that are here. So for me, a a lot of it just comes down to like trying to create that that feeling by any means necessary. And I think I think it does depend on each project. I think with Tailwind, for example, some of the elements to that are like agonizing over the class names to try and make them like as guessable as possible. And it's never always guessable for everyone. But I do hear that feedback a lot where a lot of people feel like they don't even need to read the docs. They just like guess and they're right, you know, and then even just like designing the tool to accommodate the whole, you know, utility first workflow that like we believe in in so much like that's not really a feature of Tailwind itself as a technical library. You know, it's not like code that we wrote that creates that experience. It's really just like creating something that enables a specific workflow and letting people experience kind of like the benefits of that workflow. And then documentation, I think is a huge one. I think I heard Taylor Otwell say this years ago that he kind of believes that basically given a set of open source tools, like the one with the best documentation is like almost always the one that wins because that's the one where people are going to be able to do the things that they they need to do. So paying attention to what people are struggling with and, and finding ways to get people over those hurdles, either through documentation or by 
introducing a feature that fixes that. You just want to just like make sure nothing ever slows people down. I, I love the first point you made because something that I have a lot of respect for the Tailwind team for is that an underrated benefit of creating a great developer experience is that you notice that design is really rooted in every decision that you make. And that's something that I think the Tailwind team does really well and that I have a lot of respect for my peers at Vercel for thinking about really deeply because what is design in the developer space is a lot more than just how the documentation looks. It's like you said with making sure the class names are guessable. It's down to how you design even APIs for frameworks. It's how the user interaction on your site makes it so that It just gets out of the way. It makes it really easy to just jump in and get started. And from my personal experience, I feel like when I have a really great developer experience, it's always rooted in teams that think very deeply about design and they care very deeply Mm -hmm. and they stress over the little details that other people might not spend the extra time on. Yeah. Developer experience is a design problem Mm -hmm. for sure. Like not all developers are the sorts of people who create things that you know have great developer experience not because like just just because it's a different skill you know what i mean it's 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 like magical when you can find people who like have the technical ability to build the thing and also have like the sort of design minded sort of brain to sort of bridge that gap Mm -hmm. and you get lots of amazing things you know coming from that when you see that i think like another concrete example of like when i had an experience that made me feel like wow i can't believe like how easily i was able to do that was when i first was playing with incremental static regeneration in next Mm. so i had to build like a website for my podcast full stack radio because i didn't like like the default website that came with podcast host i was using and i was trying to think okay well how am i going to do this you know i have to like consume this rss feed and i have to figure out how to like get all that working am i going to have to like run a build script every single time that like i publish a new episode or Um, have something make like an API request and like cache things. And then I just started building it out with Next, expecting, like not really fully thinking through like the power of that feature at the time, but just like started building it and just like see where I ended up. And then when I added that first, like, I think it's just like get static props, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the API for like the, that stuff added like get static props. All it does is make a fetch request to the RSS feed and mm-hmm. then pass it in. It's literally like three lines of code. And now I have this like fully static podcast site that automatically updates anytime I publish a new episode, as long as someone visits the page once. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like, I couldn't believe that I was able to do it with like such little code without thinking about anything that I had to run on the server. And, and in hindsight, it's like, well, of course that should be possible. Like when you see that it can be done, but it was this magical experience of being able to do something so easily but also like understanding why it was easy and also like not feeling like there was some magic happening that like was well beyond like my ability to comprehend it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's straightforward enough that you feel like, again, like you feel like you can take credit for building the website, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And it makes you feel like an awesome developer. It doesn't make you feel like you just have this like overpowered tool that elevates even someone who doesn't know what they're doing like you you know Mm -hmm. it's it's an empowering feeling it's not it doesn't feel like a crutch you know and trying to find out how to design things that way is is hard but that's what i think you need to think about yeah the the behind the scenes story there is really interesting to me because you know huge shout out and and credit to the next.js core team for designing these apis and and coming up with this approach but what you don't see is that you know that was in the works for years 
they had been thinking deeply about how do we build this abstraction on Next.js to make it easy to build static sites. So if I roll it back a little bit, like when Next.js started, it was focused on server rendering React applications. And you know there were other solutions that existed that would allow you to build. Everything was server rendered, yeah. right? Like you had to write like isomorphic JavaScript for everything. That was kind of like the big pitch. Yeah, yeah 100%. And you know, there were other solutions out there, not even React related, but just allow you to create static sites. And we kind of just stepped back. I say we, I wasn't at Vercel when this happened, but <laughs> the team <laughs> stepped back and just looked at the ecosystem. And at this point, I was just a happy user of Next.js. And they looked at the ecosystem and they, they understood what worked well and what maybe didn't work as well or what could be improved a little bit and really deeply thought about how do we condense the API for making a static site into just two methods and how can we make it so that adding new functionality, like allowing your pages to regenerate in the background, is just a couple lines of code extra, such that when we release it, we're not going to have to completely rewrite this thing in a few years. Like making it have an extensible API design from the start. People always say, oh, it's about great documentation. Like writing great docs and building great DX are all rooted in the same need for empathy. Mm. You need to empathize with the people who are going to use your product. And like, yeah, when I, when I think of Algolia, there are many examples, but when you index your data, you might have a lot of data. So we are going to batch it for you. We're going to chunk it and batch it for you because otherwise you would need to do it. And when you index for the first time, because we know you're going to be excited about searching it right away, we make all your attributes searchable. And then we tell you, you might want to pick which ones are, are searchable because we know it can be a performance drain. But we don't want to make you go that extra step mm -hmm. to do it and to see it work and to be amazed by, by the magic of it. So there's really a, this sense of empathy of how are people going to to react when they see what I do. And so that's kind of the continuity of the work that you do when you're a software engineer. When you're a software engineer and you're working with a team, you want to write code that your coworker is not going to hate you because you wrote it. So you're going to do that, jo that job of, okay, I'm going to name my variables properly or, or split my, uh, my PR in a, in a certain way. But then you're handing a piece of software to other developers who are not your coworkers, who are not supposed to like you. They are using something that you made, but there is no, yeah, there is no tie. Like you don't have to be nice to each other. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's really that continuity of your, your work as I'm, I'm trying to exercise empathy and to make sure that people enjoy what, uh, that they enjoy the experience of working with that. I was going to say, like, I think an, a thing too that came to mind that I think is, is one of the things that makes trying to create great developer experiences hard is that it's easy to just like jump on this idea of we just want to make things as easy as possible we want to make things as automatic as possible but that never comes like for for free even when you see people solve those problems it's easy to assume or to to kind of not recognize how much effort went into achieving it but it's it's easy to try and build things that make some things easy while sort of making some things impossible you know mm -hmm. and 
what's really hard is to figure out how to make things easy without like enforcing constraints on people that are just going to frustrate them in like different ways. Because we've all seen like libraries that try to solve a specific problem and you work with it, but there's just like one tiny like deal breaking element of it. That's just like, ah, I just need to do this one thing. And it's like fundamentally impossible because of like this other decision that was made. And now I can't use this tool. So I think that's one of like the most challenging elements is, is trying to find these kind of perfect solutions that make things easier without introducing limitations that are significant enough to kind of like ruin that, that magical experience. I think like the hardest thing in general about all this stuff is there really isn't like a way to make a checklist of like, okay, here's like the things that you need to make like easy for people. It's, it's really just has to be like noticing what could make people's lives better and figuring out how to solve it. Like one example that comes to mind for me is the command palette in Sublime Text. I might be wrong, but I feel like that was the first app where I ever saw that concept. The idea of a super quickly searchable thing where you could pull it up with one keystroke and you could access basically every function that you could perform in the whole app by searching and just like hitting enter to, to perform it. I'd never seen anyone else do that before. Before it was always like, memorize the keyboard shortcuts, memorize the keyboard shortcuts, memorize the keyboard shortcuts. And the people who took the time to do that, to memorize the keyboard shortcuts, were always like, they always looked like wizards to the people who that wasn't natural for, right? Like for me, I would always, anytime I wanted to perform any action in any tool, I'd like go up to the menu bar, open it up, find the action, see what the keyboard shortcut is, and then, do it with the keyboard. Like I wouldn't let myself click the action in the menu bar, you know, otherwise you're not building that muscle memory, but not everyone is kind of has that like built into their DNA. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you, you notice that problem as like a maker of these tools and you think, well, how can I help people not have to move their hand to the mouse? Cause I know that that's like slowing these people down and you have to invent a solution for it. You know what I mean? Like there's no it's not obvious, you know, you have to like work really hard and figure out like what sort of improvements you can make. I, I think like sublime in a lot of ways doesn't get enough credit for like completely changing the productivity expectations from text editors with like the multi cursor stuff. And I, I was reading some old, old hacker news comments about like when sublime first came out and someone said that something else had multiple cursors before sublime, but then the creator of sublime replied listing all the things that like that, even that didn't have. And he had never even seen that either. So we take some of these things for granted now, like every modern editor we use has like multiple cursors, has a command mm. palette, like Chrome DevTools has a command palette <laughs> at this point, you know, but these things had to be like in- invented by someone who like, noticed a situation where someone could do something faster and had to just like grind at coming up with a solution. But I guess like if I did have to generalize like what developer experience is, it really is just about making it possible for people to achieve the things they're trying to do in the fastest, most joy inspiring way possible. You know, like when you do like a big, um, have you ever done like a a project wide, like regex replace with, (laughs) Like, unfortunately, um, like placeholders and stuff, you know, where it's like, okay, oh, yeah. capture this capture group and like replace it with this and like preserve the case or like change the case. When you pull something like that off, like the feeling that you get from that is just like, I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and like that, that's possible because like someone created regular expressions. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like regular expressions, like we all like to like 
kind of poke fun at them or whatever but in in some ways they're like one of the most powerful dx tools that exist you know because mm-hmm. they do give you that superpower that you wouldn't have otherwise so well it, what's interesting to me building off the like the last part that you said i think there's a word for this and it's rooted in other creative fields but like let's say you're a musician like great musicians have great taste they listen and they mm-hmm. consume a lot of music great artists you know, they go to art galleries and they go view a lot of art. And I think with devs too, like great developers have great taste and they try a lot of tools. They experiment with things. They they understand what they like and what they don't like. And all of that knowledge and shared experience helps then funnel back into creating an amazing developer experience in their product too. And I think that's where a lot of the mm-hmm. inspiration comes too. Like I'll try out something like, you know, linear which is incredible. And I'm, I'm not building project management stuff, but I see their command K keyboard and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Like I, I need to have this on my yeah. site or I need to put this in Vercel.com. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a really important if you're trying to create great developer experience to really have like a very low pain tolerance. Mm. I think a lot of people are willing to put up with experiences that could be a lot better. So if you want to find opportunities to make things better, I think it's really important to, even though it sounds kind of negative is to just like convince like be annoyed easily <laughs> by your tools no, I you agree. know what i mean a, a good example of this is like it also ties back to empathy too ne- next.js is definitely not the first framework or tool to do this but for certain errors when you run into errors in the command line it spits out it says hey here's what you did wrong and then there's a url to go learn more about it that shows you specifically what went wrong potentially some code to mm-hmm. fix it I, I'm guessing we're, that was, we're in the process of stealing that idea from you. <laughs> I, I guess this was probably popularized by like ES Lint because they usually have links to docs for like why this Lint error exists, yeah. but it helps a lot and it shows empathy for people not only thinking about the like the happy path, but the sad path too. Yeah, you can do so much more with that than you can in just the console, right? Like if you limit yourself to just trying to figure out how can I explain this error in two sentences so it fits in the console like you can't really do much to help people but if you can link to a page where you can have like embedded code examples and like you might be trying to do this like here's how Mm -hmm. what you should do instead I'm really looking forward to creating like full-blown like scrollable docs pages for like certain common errors where you know we can really help people and it helps us too because like then we have less github issues yes <laughs> whatever you know a side benefit of that too is that if you're going to a website and you have analytics on it you get this nice ranked list of like what are the errors that people Most are errors. running into yeah. <laughs> and interestingly we we're going to talk about this at nextjs conference next week but we've been working on integrating eslint directly into nextjs so the intention here is like rather than even having to go through that process of like clicking out ideally you get in editor feedback like hey you shouldn't do this specific thing it's going to break your app that's actually a whole interesting topic in general i think is ideas for improving kind of error situations that people run into as like a whole class like that's a whole subcategory of like developer Mm. experience i think where there's lots of room to to do stuff and i'm interested in figuring out ways to improve there because the only idea i have right now is to do what you guys do with the uh the links in, in the console and, and we have stuff like in our like intellisense plugin it'll like warn you if you have applied like two conflicting classes mm-hmm. you know if you have like flex and block it'll be like uh don't do this like only one of these can work <laughs> yeah. and we can't guarantee which one is working stuff like that so there's one thing that i that to me is extremely important when we talk about dx is that 
again, not to forget that it's UX. And so there are many existing patterns that apply from existing UX research. And one of the things that I really value is look at how people use your product. Look at what frustrates them. Look at the feedback that you get. And yes, granted, sometimes you can get lost in feedback and it's important to be able to pick the right things. But an example is that when we rebuilt the the search on the Algolia documentation, we decided, okay, it's not just going to be a new pretty search. We're going to build a search that caters to developers who are looking in our docs. So it's our specific docs, the way it works, the ecosystem we have and all that. And so we made a lot of decisions based on that because we are the prime users of that, that documentation, but we can also know what people search and what doesn't yield any results. And so, for example, that's how we decided, hey, in the documentation, you're going to have a preview. So if you go on the documentation of Algolia, you type something and when you navigate the results, instead of having to go there and see, oh yeah, that's actually what I'm looking for, you're going to see a preview. And that is rooted in seeing people go and try. And because, yeah, you show a result that is uh, one line because you want it to be compact and people go and then it's not the right page. So they come back and they do the search again. So they have to reopen it, etc. So there's that. You also have the pattern of, uh, let's say you want to say, you want to find how to index in PHP. So it's going to be nice if you are able to filter on PHP. But if we're like, okay, let's provide you a dropdown and you're going to select your language, then you have to use your mouse and you have to leave the focus, like the, the input. And when you actually look at people using the search and you say, okay, search for indexing in PHP, they will type indexing in PHP. <laughs> so why not put that here? Like, let's put patterns and put the developer experience or the user experience in the places that people expect them to be. And this is definitely something, for example, in Tailwind that, that I use a lot that I can see is that it's not only going to be about one place. It's not just the documentation or the product, but it's also the entire ecosystem that you build around it. Like Tailwind IntelliSense in VS Code is one of my favorite extensions. It does so much for me and I'm so happy about it because it makes me a lot faster having the the errors in the console like there is an error and having the link to the documentation in react in next in view it removes so much friction but also i know that there is someone like me who probably went through that and decided hey it's a good pattern i know that Someone is going to have a lot of pain in that place. So we're going to put it here because that's where they're going to look. Yeah. It's obvious that you've really thought about the entire ecosystem, not only from I'm I'm working with the library, but then, okay, I need some icons. Okay, well, we have this, you know, all these icons you can pull off the shelf. Okay, but now I need to create a modal and now I need to create some kind of JavaScript interactive thing. Okay, well, now we have this headless UI package that's going to work with your favorite framework or tool of choice. And going even further then with like Tailwind UI, it's like, well, okay, but I want to see this in like a real world application. Show me some real code. And it's like, here you go. Here's some free code. <laughs> yeah, thanks. On the note of what you were saying, Sarah, with like some of the documentation stuff and, and even like the the preview stuff that Algolia does with the search, that makes me think of like something even Sublime does that still, I think VS Code doesn't do where if you hit like Command P and start typing a file, 
Sublime previews it immediately. Whereas like VS Code, you have to commit. You know, you have to say, uh, that's the file I want. Enter. Okay, now I can see it. Just like little details like that make a big difference. I, I think like something we do in the docs that is painful as hell for me, but is uh, I think worth it, is there's so much redundancy in our documentation. Like so many things are explained seven different times on seven different pages because I've tried really hard to think about like what are all the ways someone might look for this information. So if you want to learn how to like customize the different opacity values that are available, where there's a whole section of the documentation on customizing Tailwind, but then on the opacity page, right at the bottom, there's an example of like how to customize it right there, you know? And we we do that in a lot of places to try and just like make sure that no matter what door someone comes in, like they still find it, even if it means we have to duplicate it, which means it's harder for us to maintain and it's more work. But at the end of the day, everyone always figures out how to do what they want to do. Yeah, I can definitely empathize on on that, especially docs, because like the Algolia docs is is huge because the Algolia ecosystem is huge. Like Algolia is the company. And when you say Algolia, you think the search engine, but it's actually so big. You have the engine and then you have the open source, like the UI libraries, the the API clients, etc. And it's easy to think very like objectively, okay, I'm going to create one page or one section per project because it makes sense to document them that way. But that's not actually how people use it. And unless you're really a a huge company that has a lot of different products and they're all very contained, usually you're creating an ecosystem. And so, yeah, you might have one small page on the Tailwind IntelliSense plugin, but you're probably going to talk about it in many other places because that's where people expect it. And that's that's kind of the way that we, we tried building the documentation is thinking, what is the path that people are going to take to achieve something? People don't really care about your products. The product itself, it does not matter to them. What matters is what tools do you give people so they can achieve what they have to achieve? And one very important thing to remember, especially when we're, we're all in the like the tech business and we're selling software, building software, is that search is one small concern that that someone has when they're building something. CSS, same thing. Like styling is one concern. JavaScript and even like how to build a website is one concern in the whole strategy of a company that is building something entirely different. So they will never be as invested as we are in our product and thinking that, oh yeah, everything is about search or style or whatever, you know? So it needs to be stressed that people don't care about the product itself. They care about what they can achieve. When you feel smarter, when you feel empowered, and it's the same with docs, and it goes back to the the guidelines of the Vue.js documentation are my favorite ever. And there is this one thing where, where it says like, yeah, people have a certain amount of energy and it de- it depletes a lot slower when you make them feel smart. When you make them feel dumb, like you can have the smartest tech ever. If people feel dumb or behind or less than because they can't understand it, it's going to deplete that their energy a lot faster than if every time you teach them th- something, they feel empowered. And that's ultimately what they care about. It's not about the product, but it's about what you unlock. Yeah, yeah. People will always remember that feeling for sure. Like the lasting impression is not necessarily 
the outcome of what they built, but the feeling that was left over. Did I love this tool? Did I hate this tool? Would I use it again? Definitely. I'd love to know maybe, and I'm going to put you on the spot, like, is there any recent example of Incredible DX? And you're not allowed to say either Tailwind or Vercel <laughs> because it, or Next.js because it's too easy, but that blew you away. But not, not only in an anecdotal way, but maybe in a way that you're thinking it's going to hint what we can expect to see in developer experience in the upcoming years. Yeah, ES Build has really impressed me and the tooling that's been built around it. And it's given me like a renewed appreciation for performance, I think. I don't know, maybe it's cyclical or something, but it feels like things are fast and then we kind of just get used to them being fast and then we just make things better and add more features and do cooler things. And then things kind of get slow again, but it happens gradually and you don't really notice. Mm -hmm. And then someone figures out how to make it fast again. And you're like, whoa, I forgot how awesome things being fast is. (laughs) So playing with um with some of that stuff has has really just uh gotten me more excited about per- performance than ever and making performance improvements to our own stuff and 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 really kind of embedding it as like a core value into into the work that we do so yeah that that's kind of the one that stands out the most for me is like es build and then by extension uh Vite when it came out and playing around with that i i definitely agree with both of those for me i have two one of them is linear that I briefly mentioned earlier, but they have, it must be like a core company ethos or just a product ethos, but they really stress like everything should happen. I think like in a under a hundred milliseconds, when you use their product, you can really tell that they have performance benchmarks and that they make sure that these interactions complete as fast as possible. So it just feels fast when you use it. Another one too, for me, just like context and history, I guess, is that I started as a front-end developer, and then eventually I stumbled into figuring out how to use a database slowly, very slowly. And I, I still wouldn't call myself like an expert in the distributed world of backends. Like, there's really a lot there. And I've recently been trying out Planet Scale, which is like a new a new solution for your backend, and it's built on MySQL and Vitesse, which is like this open source software that they used at YouTube and like a bunch of other big companies. But the interesting thing about it is it's a bunch of well, there's a lot of ex GitHub people, and the the UX flow when I used it is like the mental model of GitHub branches and like the thing that I already understood and conceptually knew how to work with like the Git model, and then copy-paste it onto databases. So when I started to use it, I was like, oh, yeah, you just make a new branch and you like apply your schema change and then you commit that schema change back to your main branch and it just works. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like this reimagining of that, how that workflow should act for helping front-end developers like understand the back-end actually really wowed me. That's awesome. So, yeah, I wanted to mention Vite, but Adam, you took it, so I'm going <laughs> to... Shamelessly plug uh, Ogolia here. One really cool thing, and and I worked on it, so it's totally subjective. But uh, the autocomplete library, we just pushed the V1 of the autocomplete library of Ogolia recently. And what's really cool in it for developers is that there's so much knowledge that has been accumulated over the years uh, at Ogolia regarding autocomplete that I cannot think of anything that you could not do with this library if what you have to build is an autocomplete and i've and i've really pushed it myself like i've i i worked on it but also 
uh, played with it. And one of the recent things that I've tried building with it is replicating the Omni Surge that you have in, in Firefox, the quantum bar, which is actually filled with awesome, delightful UX patterns that are very specific and that can be very, very hard to reproduce. And building that, building that experience that is so complex with autocomplete is a delight because all those patterns and all those abstractions, and it, and I think it goes back to, yeah, one of the things that I love about Next.js, all those abstractions have been so well thought out that it works. And you feel like, yes, that's the right level. And lower would be too hard because I would have to plug too many things myself, but higher would remove the control that I want. Awesome. Great example. Lee, Adam, where can people go to find you online? You can find me at leerob.io or on Twitter at leerob with three E's because somebody else already took the other one. <laughs> uh, mostly I'm just on Twitter at Adam Wathen. And I'm on Twitter at frontstuff underscore IO. And then you can find anything and everything about Algolia at algolia.com. Lee, Adam, thanks a lot for doing this. It was super interesting. I wish we could stay two extra hours. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. This was Developer Experience, a podcast brought to you by Algolia. You can find this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you want to know more about Algolia, check us out at algolia.com. And we are at Algolia on Twitter. 